Welcome to Healing Hearts, Empowering Critical Care Providers. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended as a training tool for Children's Hospital and Medical Center personnel. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Complete information regarding the podcast, including its limitations on usage, is available under the episode description. Hello, welcome back to Healing Hearts. My name is Dr. Melissa Mufluitt, and I am a pediatric nephrologist at Children's Hospital and Medical Center. Today I'm going to cover continuous renal replacement therapy, or CRRT. Today I hope to cover the following topics on CRRT, the definition of CRRT and the different forms of CRRT, access required for CRRT, the advantages and disadvantages, the theory behind CRRT and how to write a dialysis prescription for CRRT, and then lastly covering the complications and some tips for bedside monitoring in the ICU. So what is CRRT? Well, essentially, it's the same as hemodialysis, only it's much slower and much more gentle. And so in general, it's better tolerated by our hemodynamically unstable patients within the PICU. How does CRRT differ from hemodialysis? Well, generally, it's the same therapy as hemodialysis. We're removing blood through access like a dialysis catheter and running it through a hemodialysis filter and returning it to the patient. But we're doing it at a much slower rate and running it continuously within the ICU. So in general, a CRT prescription varies from a hemodialysis prescription in that we're running a slightly slower blood flow rate and we're running a slower dialysate rate and we're in general removing fluid at a much slower rate. Now, the advantage to that is that we can perform dialysis and fluid removal in hemodynamically unstable patients in the ICU, but the downside is is that these patients are running continuously on dialysis and then thus need to be immobile and in bed for that period of time and also typically need to be anticoagulated uh, during that time, but we'll talk more about that later. So what access do we need for CRRT? Well, the same access that we need for hemodialysis in general. We still need that large bore dual lumen catheter in one of our major vessels like the internal jugular, a subclavian, or a femoral. We can dialyze through either tunneled or non-tunneled lines. But the advantage is sometimes we don't need quite as large of a catheter because, again, we're running slower dialysis in general. The advantages of CRRT are that it reduces the risk of hemodynamic instability, and we're hoping to prevent the risk of secondary ischemia via slow, continuous dialysis. In general, these patients, as I said, we require similar or slightly smaller dialysis catheters due to our slightly lower blood flow rate. These patients have more gradual or slower changes or shifting in the electrolytes and toxins, and this is generally more well-tolerated. 
There is some theory behind if our CRRT has some indication as far as removal of cytokines or other inflammatory markers during sepsis, but this point is often debated. Consider that CRRT is often safer for patients with head injuries. And also, again, I feel that this form of dialysis with gentle ultrafiltration um, allows for a greater possibility of renal recovery. The disadvantages of CRRT include, as always, needing to get that vascular access in a pediatric patient and that these patients, again, running on continuous dialysis, they require continuous anticoagulation. This can be an issue in our patients that are at risk for bleeding. And also in pediatrics, it can be quite hard to have a patient remain in bed or remain still for continuous dialysis therapy. Getting into the theory of CRRT, as we spoke earlier, the main principle of dialysis is diffusion of molecules across a semi-permeable membrane. And we still use that diffusion principle in CRRT, but in CRRT, there's also a secondary process called convection, which is an additional clearance mechanism that can occur when replacement solutions are used on CRRT. And we'll talk more about exactly what a replacement solution is, but essentially, this is a process where pressure is applied on one side of the membrane and it essentially is forcing solutes or dragging them across the semi-permeable membrane from a high concentration to low concentration. But because there is pressure applied, these molecules move across the membrane regardless of the size of the particles. So what's involved with a CRRT prescription? Well, first we have to decide upon the CRRT modality that we will be using. With that, we have to decide on using either dialysis or a replacement or convection solution. We have to decide on the type of solution that we're going to use. We have to decide on the filter size, and we have to decide on our fluid removal or ultrafiltration rate. And then lastly, we also have to consider if we will be using anticoagulation and what form of anticoagulation we would like to use based on the risk of bleeding in each individual patient. There are different modalities of CRRT that I would like you to be familiar with the nomenclature. So there are three different modalities of CRRT that can occur. The first is continuous venovenous hemofiltration, or CVVH. This is CRRT that is only using the properties of convective clearance. To get this convective clearance, what we are doing is running a replacement solution in line with our fluids applying additional pressure across the membrane to remove that fluid and thus effectively getting convective clearance of uh, molecules across that membrane and clearance out of the blood. Replacement solutions on CRRT can be ran either pre-filter or post-filter and the machine is then set up 
to pull that fluid across the membrane, making additional ultrafiltration or effluent. The next form of CRRT is continuous venovenous hemodialysis, or CVVHD, which is essentially continuous dialysis. So similar to the properties that we talked about with hemodialysis, this is clearance provided by diffusion where we are uh, continually applying a new bath of dialysate countercurrent to our blood flow so that we're continuously having a fresh solution that diffusion can occur within. The last modality of CRT that we will cover is continuous venovenous hemodiafiltration, or CVVHDF. Now, this form of dialysis is essentially a combination of the previous two forms that we spoke about. This form of dialysis combines the properties of both convective clearance and diffusive clearance by running two forms of clearance simultaneously. Within this circuit, we are running both replacement solutions, either pre or post filter, and also running the dialysate within the filter countercurrent to our blood flow. Now, just for clarification, at Children's Hospital, we use the next stage machines for our CRRT administration. With the next stage machine, we are able to provide both CVVH or CVVHD, but the next stage machine does not allow us to set up for CVVHDF dialysis with both diffusive and convective clearance running simultaneously. There is one other form of dialysis that can be performed by CRRT, and that is slow continuous ultrafiltration or SCUF. Now, SCUF is not really recommended because it can be dangerous if not used properly. But essentially, SCUF is fluid removal with no replacement fluids and no dialysis running. So essentially, as in the name, it is just slow, continuous ultrafiltration, so just fluid removal with no clearance. The next part of a CRT prescription is choosing the dialysate solution that you wish to run for clearance. Now we choose these solutions based on the electrolyte content that we wish to target in the patient. At Children's, we use the next stage RFP solutions, but depending on the center that you're at, there are different solutions for different machines. At Children's on the RFP solutions are normally very similar in, in the electrolyte content of the bicarbonate, the sodium, um, the calcium, the magnesium, and the chloride. But we will choose different solutions based on the potassium content that we're targeting in the patients. And also in a select group of patients in where citrate anticoagulation will be used, we often use a different solution for this because it has no calcium within it. But we'll get into citrate anticoagulation in a little while. For CRRT, we must um, choose a specific dialyzer and tubing that we wish to use. 
again at Children's with the Next Stage system, we have two choices of circuits that are available to us. And really these are based on size. So we have a CAR125 cartridge, which has a small dialyzer and we utilize this set for patients that are less than 25 kilograms. Also available to us is the CAR505 set, which has a larger adult size dialyzer and this we utilize for those patients typically greater than 25 kilos. So really, how do we change a CRRT prescription? Well, we can change several things to kind of alter our clearance. So our clearance is just like in hemodialysis, our clearance is based on our filter characteristic, our surface area or size of our filter, the blood flow rate or the rate at which we're removing blood from the patient and running it through the machine, our diffusive clearance, our clearance rate will vary based on the flow of our dialysate that we're running. And if we're running CVVH or convective clearance, our rate of clearance will depend on the rate of our replacement solution. And as we spoke earlier, our electrolyte content or our electrolyte clearance that we're providing um, varies highly based on the solution that we're using for either dialysis or replacement. When we're writing a CRRT prescription, the next thing that we need to think about is our ultrafiltration rate. So really, how much fluid do we want to remove from this child over what period of time? So really, there is no study that really identifies what a safe and effective ultrafiltration rate is within children. Typically, when we decide on the ultrafiltration rate, it has to be a rate that's agreed upon by both the ICU team and the nephrology team as to what will safely be tolerated by the patient based on their current characteristics and hemodynamic status. As a general rule, I typically like to set the max net ultrafiltration per hour as the weight in kilos times 70 times 0 0.03. This is an equation that was developed and reported on in a paper looking at outcomes of children on CRRT. And though the data is not strong, it's the best that we have. So I typically try to remain below this number for a max net UF per hour. The other important part when deciding on the fluid removal is really knowing the patient's fluid status and their I's and O's. So knowing how much fluid the patient is getting in in continuous drips and TPN and how much other medications and intermittent infusions the patient is receiving and also knowing how much uh, fluid the patient is having for outputs including urine output or chest tube output. And then really when we know those two numbers of what's going in and what's coming out, we can decide on our desired net hourly negative fluid balance and then adjust the ultrafiltration rate on the machine accordingly. Next, I wanted to talk a little bit about anticoagulation and our options for this on CRRT. So of course, we can do systemic anticoagulation with heparin. Initially, we prescribe a heparin bolus and then we typically start the patient on a continuous heparin infusion. 
Heparin anticoagulation requires monitoring of labs. Typically, um, in our ICU, we will follow anti-10A levels. When heparin anticoagulation is used, we must make sure that our RFP solutions contain calcium, and uh, we must be in agreement that the patient as, is at low risk for uh, bleeding complications as not only will our circuit be anticoagulated, but our patient will be as well. Heparin anticoagulation can also have more uncommon complications such as HIT or heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. There are other anticoagulation methods such as low molecular weight heparin, which can be used for CRRT but are not well described in pediatrics and thus not commonly used for CRRT. The other anticoagulation method that's available to us in the ICU is citrate anticoagulation. The advantage of citrate anticoagulation is that it allows for what we call regional anticoagulation or anticoagulation that is only involving the CRRT circuit and not systemic anticoagulation of the patient. This is a nice option for use in patients who are at a high um, risk of bleeding. Citrate anticoagulation works by inhibiting the clotting cascade. So if you can remember back to the clotting cascade, all of the factors that are involved require calcium as a cofactor. So if we can take calcium or ionize calcium out of circulation or to a very low level, we can essentially effectively inhibit any coagulation in that system. So how we use citrate for CRRT is that we administer the citrate on the dialysis axis. So we administer the citrate as the blood is immediately leaving the patient before reaching our dialysis filter. This will then drop the ionized calcium within the circuit and cause effective anticoagulation. However, we cannot have the patient's ionized calcium reach these low levels, that would be quite dangerous for the patient. So what we do then is administer a separate calcium infusion at a distal access site within the patient, and we target normal ionized calcium levels for the patient. So in citrate anticoagulation, we require frequent monitoring of ionized calcium levels both from the circuit and a separate value from the patient. And our goal then is to reach a low ionized calcium target range for the circuit and a normal therapeutic ionized calcium range for the patient. If ionized calcium levels within the machine are out of our goal range, the citrate infusion is adjusted. If the ionized calcium for the patient is outside of the goal range, we adjust the calcium infusion rate. So this sounds like a great option for our patients and can be a much more safe modality in patients with a high bleeding risk, but there are some complications associated with citrate anticoagulation. For instance, patients can develop citrate lock or citrate overload. This is essentially when the citrate level within the patient exceeds what they are able to clear from their own hepatic clearance 
or from our CRRT clearance. What you'll see in patients with citrate lock is that their ionized calcium levels from the patient are dropping, but the patient's total calcium level is rising. Citrate lock can be treated by either increasing the clearance on CRRT to provide additional clearance of that citrate, holding the citrate infusion along with the calcium infusion for a period of time, or lowering both rates of the citrate and the calcium infusions in hopes of decreasing that accumulation of citrate which is occurring within the patient. Additionally, patients on citrate anticoagulation are at risk for other electrolyte abnormalities, and this can include alkalosis, hyperglycemia, and hypernatremia due to the electrolyte content of the citrate solution. And another consideration for patients on citrate anticoagulation is the frequent lab draws that are required. Typically, patients do best if they have a separate site like an art line to draw these ionized calcium levels from so that these levels are not affected by the calcium infusion that's running in through a separate central line. Next, I wanna just talk briefly about the complications of CRT in general. So the major complications of CRT, again, revolve around the risk of hypotension in our patients on dialysis in the ICU. Though this risk of hypotension is less than it would be with intermittent hemodialysis, there is still risk for hemodynamic instability in these critically ill patients. These patients can develop symptoms from rapid fluid removal or rapid shifting of electrolytes or toxins as they can with hemodialysis, but again, CRT is better tolerated due to the slower clearance rates that we generally run. Because these patients are on continuous dialysis, they are at risk for hypothermia and often require some heating mechanism to keep their body temperature up. These patients are at risk of catheter malfunction as they are with hemodialysis. These patients are, as we talked about, at risk for clotting while on dialysis, which is why our pediatric patients typically require anticoagulation. And so uh, they do have all the risks and complications that go along with um, systemic anticoagulation if heparin is used. And lastly, again, the most important thing that we always counsel parents about is the risk of infection with dialysis because that central line is in place and must be cared for properly. The last thing that I wanted to cover today is again how to best monitor these patients when they're in the ICU. So we really rely heavily on our bedside nurses to monitor the patients closely to ensure that they're tolerating the dialysis. Patients require close monitoring of their vitals for hypotension and tachycardia to ensure that they're tolerating the ultrafiltration or fluid removal. Again, we rely heavily on the nursing staff to help us with the patient's fluid status, and this includes their eyes and O's, their daily weights, their exam, and their respiratory status. ICU patients on CRRT require close monitoring of their electrolytes. They require good nutritional support and close um, monitoring of this and frequent reassessment of their nutritional needs. 
Oftentimes, um, CRT patients require adjustment of their medications, especially their infusions and drips. Some of these medications are cleared with CRT, and so oftentimes you'll notice that sedation drips or pressors might need to be increased after initiation of CRT, and we usually recommend that the infusions are titrated to um, the desired response once CRT is initiated. And again, as always, we rely heavily on the bedside nurses for helping us with prevention of infection in our patients with hemodialysis catheters. So that concludes the continuous renal replacement therapy in the ICU podcast. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Healing Hearts. For more information about Children's Hospital and Medical Center, visit childrensomaha.org. Thanks for listening to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers.